Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist and it is time for the tea. Tea Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Welcome back to our September episodes. We talked last week about people who either witnessed or were survivors of a, of a crime, resources that were available for people. This week, we're going to be talking about domestic violence. Next week, we're going to be talking about life after divorce. And so we're really addressing things in this month that can lead to people feeling suicidal, that can lead to people feeling depressed, that can lead to people feeling hopeless. And we want to make sure that you all have the resources that you need to be able to address any of those things that you may be going through or someone you love and care about may be going through because we know that information is power. So without further ado, you all know that you can drop comments and questions in the chat. We'll do our very best to answer them and make sure that we get that information to you. If we don't have it available for you, I'll get that information to you at a later time. But it is my sincere pleasure to introduce Ms. Tabitha Marion. Ms. Marion has worked with Hope Harbor for the past six years and is currently the shelter director. She's the mother of two sons, one daughter, and a grandma of two grandchildren. She's a graduate student in the Human Service Department of the University of Phoenix. Her passion and experience are working in the community with survivors and families of domestic violence. Welcome to the show, Ms. Marion. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So we know that the rates of domestic violence have increased during the pandemic. And I do understand that some people just don't really necessarily know what domestic violence is. I think we see a lot of things in TV, movies, but we don't have an understanding of what exactly constitutes domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Can you please share that with our audience? Yes, of course. Domestic violence comes in all different forms, um, definitely with intimate partners, whether it's male or female. Um, it also comes with house mem household members, you know, even their parents can um, abuse the kids as well as the kids abusing the parents. So there is no just one, just because people are married, this does not mean that that's the only way that being abused, it definitely can go through dating. Um, teen violence is also one of the big things through domestic violence as well. So we want to make sure that people always think, well, I'm not married, he's not abusing me, but you could just be dating him and he's, you know, abusing you or your parents could be having, you know, abusing the kids or the kids could also be abusing the parents. So, yes. So that's very helpful to know because I do think a lot of times we think, oh, yes, I have to be married. Or, and a lot of the times I think people, too, think it's only physical violence that constitutes right. domestic violence. Can you talk about the different forms that it may take? What are some things that people may be doing that could be considered violent? Um, one of the biggest things um, is emotional uh, abuse because a lot of people don't realize that they're being emotionally abused by the way that they play the mind games with them. They call it the honeymoon stage. You know, one minute, you know, everything is going good. And then the next minute, explosion happens. So, you know, the mind game and also social, social media and, the, and their social friends, you know, isolating them from their family or friends, not wanting them to go anywhere just basically be around them so they can control how, you know, their relationship goes. And well as financial, they don't want them to work. So they control the money flowing coming in because they start working 
I mean, that's something going to end up becoming friends with people at the jobs, sharing what's happening inside their homes, what that could lead to police being involved or one of their co-members, co-workers asking them like, hey, you need to get away from that situation. And also, um, but definitely physical, you know, a lot of um, sometimes, some people make it, sometimes they don't, depending on how severity of domestic violence is with that partner. And also verbal abuse. And I feel like people um, make, is a norm for some people because they feel like, oh, he's just having a bad day or he calls me out my name all the time because he's just frustrated. But that is verbal abuse, making them feel um, so on self-worth, making them feel like they have to depend on them, making them feel, you know, less or they can't make it without them. So it's so many different umbrellas of domestic violence that people don't realize that they're in. So there's a lot of forms of being, being abused. Thank you so much for that, because I do think a lot of times we're not aware. You mentioned the financial abuse part, like withholding money and resources from people to keep them kind of contained and controlled. So if you don't do what I say, then you're not going to be able to have access to things that you need, transportation or money for groceries or diapers or um being able to to pay the bills, right? So I can hold that over you as a tool of manipulation. Um, but you also talked about something very interesting too, which is wanting to make sure that you are not around people who might be able to give you information that this situation is unhealthy. So I don't want you getting a job because then you're around coworkers and, and you get to be independent, but also these coworkers could potentially say, hey, something about your relationship is making me uncomfortable. I'm a little worried about you. Yeah, and that's a lot, a lot of um, some of the victims that we come across because, you know, they don't want them to work, you know, they don't want them to be around their family members because if they start seeing unusual bruises on them or they noticing they're isolating themselves away and they can start asking questions or the way they dress, you know, in the summertime you're wearing long sleeves, you know, people don't pay attention to that, but those are the different signs of them being abused because of what they're wearing or conversation is real short. So yes, he wants to control or she wants to control the cycle of them not being around family and friends to control what's going on. Or they will pop up at the job. Like, mm -hmm. just want to make sure you're there and making sure you're at work and are calling them constantly over and over again to make sure they're where they're at, you know, they're supposed to be in their mind, supposed to be at. So it's so much of the power and controlling of the victims. And that's an interesting point too about like, are you where you say you're supposed to be? Because some people might think, oh, well, this person just wants to make sure I arrive safely. They just want right. to make sure that I'm okay. They're checking on me and may not necessarily see that as abusive. Right, that's true. I would sometimes tell the ladies, you know, um, change your way of leaving or sometimes leave work early, depending on what's going on because you don't know what, you know, what is in his mindset or her mindset when they come to the job looking, because if something took place at home and then they go to the job and they're not finished at home, they will come to the job and start some more confusion, even at the workforce. And I think a lot of times people do feel like, okay, when I'm at work, I'm safe because this person isn't going to do things in front of other people. They don't want to have witnesses. But what I'm hearing you say is depending on what kind of mental state this person is and how desperate they may be feeling, they absolutely show up to a person's job um, as a way, again, to remind you, like, you're never away from me. Like, I can access you whenever I want to be able to access you, even around all of these people. 
that's correct. That's still, that is definitely so true. And I think a lot of, um, we don't pay attention to that. Like you said, um, we're thinking, even with, we're with our families, we're thinking we're safe. But you know, bullets don't have a name. And if they're upset and they angry, it doesn't matter. If they want to get to you, they will get to you. So the best thing to do is start talking. Start talking to somebody, letting somebody know. So they'll know, the person that you're with, what to be looking out for you, with you as well. Even your Absolutely. job. Yes. So like you, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you were saying like, let people know. So let your job know like, hey, um, this person has a history uh, of, right. of and, and you mentioned before the, the name calling, the negative statements, the criticism, the belittling that makes us have worth issues because that's just as damaging. And I know a lot of times people think, um, okay, well, they're not putting their hands on me. So it's not really an abusive relationship. Words don't hurt in the same way that fists do. But what I'm hearing you say is, no, those words cut just as deep and they um, no. reside in your spirit and they can end up being some of the things that uh, cause you the most damage later on because you don't feel like you have worth. You don't feel like you can do anything. It keeps you in that powerless state of not feeling like anyone can help you. Um, so yeah, when I'm with my family, when I'm at work, he's still there. She's still there. He told me, she told me that they were going to do it and I couldn't get away and nobody else would save me and um, that I wasn't going to be able to do anything outside of them. And so when we tell people, we help take away some of that fear. We help it sounds like maybe be able to get some of that power back and begin to challenge some of these things this person has told us. Right, that is definitely correct. Um, because if once they start talking and then that's when they feel like, oh, I'm not alone. And then mm -hmm. sometimes they find out that somebody else is in that or has experienced the same thing that they've been through and they can give them some you know, different resources or outlook for what to do to get it out of the relationship. So just starting a conversation does make a big difference. But you know, sometimes we are embarrassed and we don't want to because we don't know if the job's gonna be like, no, I don't want these problems here. So today's your last day. So it's like, you know, it's a whole bunch of fear that goes into that victim that they're thinking about who do they have and when is a good time to talk? When is a good time to say something? And so that's the reason why a lot of them do stay at home and don't go, go to work because they're not ready to answer some of the questions or be looked down on to. Absolutely, because it sounds like it's a very personal, um, psychological, it's emotional, it's financial, all of these things. And so, yes, to be able to be transparent and release all of that, the shame. Um, as you mentioned, the embarrassment about it. How are people going to perceive me? How are going, people going to think of me? Are they going to believe me? Um, are they going to dismiss what I'm saying or minimize what I've experienced? Because again, as we were talking about before, like some people like, well, at least they care about you. They love you enough to want to make sure you're here. They are making sure that you're wearing things that are appropriate. So they care about what you put on. They care about how you come out, right? So we end up rationalizing for people, um, folks being controlling. Be, oh, he texts you uh, 700 times. Well, at least he's texting you. Like I'm dating somebody, they don't even text me. Um, they don't even check on me like that. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes people can feel, it sounds like as if, you know, even if I do share things, how is that going to be received? Right, that is definitely true. And sometimes they will definitely, especially if they go back, depending on how many times they leave um, the, their abuser and keep going back. And so it gets to the point where the family or friends don't want to believe them or they're tired of trying to save them. So 
they don't, they, they in themselves isolate themselves depending on how severe their domestic violence is towards their loved ones. So then that's when they stop talking and stop sharing because they don't know, you know who they can trust anymore because how they feel of their family and friends distance themselves from them. So it, it does, it is so many different reasons why people don't, don't talk. You know, myself, I didn't talk. I'm a survivor myself. And I didn't share with anyone because number one, I wasn't ready, you know, to, to finally leave my ex-husband or wondering what my family's gonna say or friends if I do share. Because as African-American women, we always be told to just pray about it, girl. It's gonna be all right. And, you know, or just give it to the Lord or, you know, stay with them. It's going to be all right. You know, I experienced this myself, you know, so that was a norm for them. So it became a norm for us. And so and that's one of the reasons, you know, a lot of times I didn't, you know, I didn't share because I didn't want anyone to say anything. And I realized even being working in the shelter that I, a lot of people don't share. When they do, they're scared of what their parents or family is going to say or, they may not even have any more dealings with them because they feel like they're stupid or making comments to them themselves about why you keep going back. So not only that they're getting shame through the abuser, but they're also getting shame through their family and friends. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that you are a survivor um, in some of your struggles. Uh, and, and, I, and I do think whenever we shed light on things, right? Um, uh, because we know that shame hides in the darkness. Um, shame hides in our silence. And so when we're not able, for whatever reason, to speak up about it, that makes that shame grow. But when you are able to finally get to that place where you're able to release it, then that's when you realize, like, hey, like you said, I'm not alone in this and I can find support and it doesn't feel so heavy because I'm not carrying the load by myself. Um, I want to get to, you mentioned a, a couple of things I want to circle back to. Um, one is when you mentioned people keep going back, right? And so family and friends are like, why are you still talking to me about this? Um, we've had this conversation multiple times. I've told you, you can come stay with me. I've told you I'll come over there and help you move out. We'll get the kids put in school with all of these things. And we made these plans. And then you get here you're here for a couple of days, this person reaches out to you and then you're back over there with them. And we've done this dance back and forth for a while and I don't believe you anymore. And I'm tired of extending myself and putting myself. Talk a little bit about that journey for people who are trying to leave abusive relationships. What is that struggle where people go back and forth? Why it's hard for people to leave and stay gone? It's a mental struggle. You know, because as we in the relationship, the abuser make us feel like there is nobody else out there for us, especially our family. Like, you know, I got you. Nobody wants you. You know, you got all these kids. Who, which, who you going to find? Your family got a whole house full of people. Pretty soon they're going to get tired of you. So it's so much guilt they weigh on that victim. And then once they do leave, then they start calling them doing the honeymoon, I'm sorry, I forgive you, let's go get some counseling. And then once they get into a safe place that they feel that is safe, and then they, they start even having different things coming from their family and friends, you know, having conversations that they wasn't ready to have. So they feel like, mm, I don't want to deal with this, let me just go ahead and go back. Or if they're not working, 
and their support is coming from the abuser and their family or friends don't have the money to give them to help them carry them through those low you know those heavy journeys that they're going through and they go back to him because either they're paying the bills paying buying the clothes doing the things that keeping them with him or with her that they will go back so it's so many different reasons why and people trying to figure out they won't know they can't give you the reason why they will go back only thing that they know is that's all they familiar with or that all they comfortable with and some people will say well, were you comfortable getting slapped or well today he may not do it tomorrow or maybe he won't do it for a whole week you know they look at that hope and promise that they may not get hit on so that's why they're going back hoping that they're changed and hoping that if I don't say anything today, or if I clean up the house, or if I cook that food that he wants, or keep the kids quiet and put them, into, put them to bed, or don't spend a lot of money, they're hoping that that would change them, stop abusing them. So that's the reason why we did go back. And I think to go back to what you said earlier, too, about sometimes we're taught to pray about it, to be forgiving, um, to love people where they are. Um, people make mistakes and uh, we don't want to just throw people away. We don't want to cancel them because they're having challenges. We want to love them through it. Uh, everybody goes through something. So some of these messages that we've been taught about why to stay with people and not to give up on them um, and to, to give people grace keeps us in that place of shame, keeps us in that place of embarrassment. It makes us feel like you said, like we're like, I need to look at maybe I'm doing something. Right. So maybe I'm the reason why she gets so angry. Um, maybe I did something that made her put her hands on me. Maybe I did something that made him talk to me in that way. Um, I just should have changed clothes. I should have uh, seasoned that chicken a little bit better. I should have um, made sure that the clothes were ready for work the next day. And I, I was tired. And so I fell asleep. That's my fault. I know that this person is going through a lot of things. And so I just, I need to extend them some kindness. So I think we do want to believe that this is a mm -hmm. good person. Um, because at some point in our lives, maybe they were good to us. Uh, maybe right. they, those compliments, uh, because oftentimes it's how we groom people, right? We start with compliments and uh, filling in the areas where we see you have the need and the void and telling you all the stuff that you want to hear to get you roped on in. Um, so the, the um, verbal abuse, the physical abuse, the financial abuse don't start right away. And so I'm still trying to get back to who this person was. And I think that maybe this time, Right. will be the time when they actually change and they're different, that they mean what they said. Right. That's true. Especially with, um, like what you were saying, that um, what you were saying regarding as far as, I know there's been a couple of times where I've talked to people and they were hoping that they would change because it will tell them like, I'm going to go get counseling. I know I got a problem. And, and they were like, okay, well, can we go together? So they're hoping that because while they're gone, doesn't mean that that abuser has stopped keeping in contact with them. So they're weighing on their spirit of like, come on back. Things is going to get better. and Let's do this together. No. And so of course they were like, yeah, let's just see what happens. Or they just only, they feel it's only verbal abuse. So they're like, well, you know, he just had a bad day at work and, you know, tomorrow's going to be a better day. And so, but they don't realize it starts off as verbal first. 
because they're trying to see how far they can go with the verbal. They feel like, oh, okay, well, she didn't do nothing. She didn't say nothing. So, you know, let me press a little bit more with something else. And then it leads to the, um, to the physical. And, and we don't look at that because the verbal, we take it as norm. So they don't look at those red, you know, red signs of, hey, that these are red, red, red signs of saying that something might happen. We just look at it, he didn't hit me. He just said that I'm stupid. And I did, may, I may have done something stupid that, or like you said about the chicken, I, I should have, you know, less salt. You know, I know that he's a diabetic, so I may not put too much salt on it. We try to rationalize why that he's feeling that way. And we take the blame of why that we're the ones that make him feel that way. And so while we're at our family's house or a friend's house, we're sitting there thinking about what we did wrong or maybe we should do things a little bit different and maybe things will change and but it, it doesn't because when he comes when you do go back then he realized okay i was able to do this let me see what else i can do and then that's when it becomes physical and sometimes people don't survive to it depending on how severe the abuse is and i think a lot about when you're talking about teens dating right um because a lot of times if you grow up in an environment where maybe you're used to people talking a certain way, um, or you're used to hearing, you know, door slam, people raising their voices, you're uh, used to um, people being a little physical. So I've normalized this. I like the terminology that you use there um, as, okay, well, this is what relationships look like. So we think about our young people in their early dating relationships. If they've grown up in an environment where they see people cursing at each other, they see um, people name calling, they see people raising their voices or um, maybe snatching on folks or come on here, uh, popping people in the back of the head and um, doing all of these things. When they get in a relationship, then they feel like, okay, well, this is what a relationship is supposed to look like. So I'm, I'm thinking there's nothing wrong with this relationship that I'm in with this person because I've normalized this as part of love. Um, love is people talk to you. Uh, you know, in those kind of ways. People put their hands on you in those kind of ways. And so you mentioned the normalizing piece and our young people, and, and I think they're at even more risk because they don't necessarily know what healthy is supposed to even look like. Right, yeah, that is so true, because they don't. And the only the way they learn it is through what's happening at home. And if they see that at home, then to them, they like, oh, this is the way that I'm supposed to do. This is how am I supposed to treat my girlfriend or, this is how my boyfriend is supposed to treat me, you know, call me out my name or buy me something today and then cuss me out tomorrow, you know, because that's what they used to seeing or that's what they even they see with other um, datings, people dating, they see what they went through when everybody tried to relate to, you know, different ways. So. And then you also mentioned that grooming piece of how things start out, right? So it doesn't start out as the physical violence. Um, we test the waters. I remember um, Andrea Kelly in her interview about R. Kelly stated, um, you know, I always said I was a woman that wouldn't deal with this, right? But then he wasn't doing this. It didn't start out, <laughs> um, you know, where it ended. It started with little small things, little things that you're able to dismiss. He had a bad day. Um, you know, I could have done better. He's going through some things. He's got under a lot of stress. And so bit by bit, like you said, they're testing the water. So I'm going to get you used to this thing. 
get you used to this thing, get you used to this thing. Um, and now you look up and like you said, sometimes people don't even get to make it because the abuse is so egregious by this point. Like now a person has lost their lives um, because it kept getting more and more and more abusive. Uh, and so for people who don't really know what that means, right? To normalize these little small things. Um, talk a little bit about some of the psychological, I think mean, like the, the grooming, the what people are saying to prep folks to get them used to. Talk a little bit more about what you've experienced with women in the shelter um, in terms of what are some of the little ways, the small things that people start out doing that end up then progressing to more violent acts. Buying gifts, you know, because every woman likes like gifts. So it starts off with flowers or rings or things that they know that makes them feel good. Perfumes, mm. taking them out to eat, mm. um, taking them on a vacation, you know, massaging their feet, you know, having a bad day at work. Oh, let me massage your feet. So it's the, they try and they make them be depending or fall in love with them even more. So, you know, like, oh yeah, this is the one. And then when he has those moments, uh, but they start thinking about Oh, well, he did massage my feet. He did buy these roses. You know, you know, let me get back to that again. So it's the little small things that leads up to it that people need to pay attention. I always tell some of the ladies at the shelter, when you do, let's say that you have a date with someone and you cancel it at the last minute, just say, hey, I'm not going on that date and just find out how they react to it. Do they get upset instantly? and say in the name calling start happening or did they understand like okay yeah you know we can't make it do it another day so there's different things that we have to pay attention to that we don't because we're like oh he was just mad because you know he already spent some money on something no he's showing you aggressive signs already that we don't pay attention to so you know there's always those the gifts those are always the ones right there that's Buy the bait my phone bill oh girl you done paid my phone or he paid my car note mm -hmm. that's where they get us with is the money because we always need a bill paid or if we have kids buying our kids something bringing something over for the kids or including our kids into something if they're not the parent or you know if they're not the father or the mother of those kids doing something that for our kids to open our eyes and, and feel like oh yeah, that person is the one, regardless of how he's treating me. He's including my kids and he didn't have to because mm -hmm. these was not his kids. Mm. That is really powerful. Uh, the, the, the hearts and the thumbs went up when you said cancel that date at the last minute. Um, that is actually a really good strategy uh, to think about like, let, let me see how you handle disappointment or me that being available to you? Are you going to be understanding like, oh yeah, things come up, we'll reschedule, or are you going to get aggressive and angry and upset and start accusing me of things? Oh, you're out here with somebody else. That's why you don't want to go out on a date. I knew you were playing around with me, and, right? And then all of this violence and this aggressiveness comes out, and then you get a chance to really see like, okay. Uh, so like you said, those red flags, um, how this person is able to deal with plans changing. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a good one. Um, so for people that are ready to leave, right, we know that there are a lot of factors. You mentioned the financial, the psychological, emotional, um, and, and going back and forth, hoping this person will change. Let me pray about it. Let me ask God to work with this person. I don't want to abandon them and leave them. Um, they need me. Um, when we're ready to leave, 
what are some things that a person can do? What are those initial steps? I imagine there's a lot of emotion when it comes time. Fear is the one that comes to mind, like, how am I going to do this? But what, what are some steps, those initial steps that people can take when they're ready? Um, the first step is have a safety plan. And that's definitely important because you have to have a plan just in case whatever you plan to do didn't work out. What, you know, who do you call? Um, I would call a friend or family and to let them know, like, this is what I'm trying to do. Um, I'll be on the phone. This is the code word that I will use if I'm having problems getting away. So they can either call them, please, themselves. Um, having a plan, making sure you have all your documents together because those are some barriers sometimes that can cause people not to leave because they don't have their IDs, they don't have the social security cards, don't have the birth certificates because they're starting all over again. So they want to make sure that they have that or it will cause problems down the line for them to get that. So start planning how you want to do things. Um, if you feel like you need to get away, start talking to the police you know, or finding out, calling the shelters, because every place that you live, they have a shelter, and they do have outreach, and they do have a safe, they will do a safety plan with them, and advise them different ways to get away, and, um, and definitely talk to somebody, because that will be, that person will be the one that can help save them, especially if they have the phone open, always have your phone open, on talking to a family member as you're gathering your things, because they can be the one to make that fast call if you can't make that call. So it sounds like for a lot of people, their first step may be reaching out to somebody that's got expertise in this area. So they can even, because I'm thinking to myself, would I even know what to include in a safety plan? Would I even know, okay, what kinds of things do I need to grab? Um, right. You know, and I, I remember my mother in her first marriage, uh, she said her husband never put her, put his hands on her, but what he would do, he would break stuff, he'd throw stuff, um, and it would scare her. And so in part of her safety plan, uh, she made sure that he was gone to work, and then she had people come while he was gone and move stuff really quickly, and she didn't even tell him she was leaving. Uh, she called him after she was gone and was like, look, I'm leaving you, this is an unhealthy relationship. And she said she just heard stuff breaking in the background, he's cursing, he's doing all of this stuff. But she said for her, um, she had to escape without him even having any inkling that she was going to leave because he would have never let her leave. And so I imagine that's some of the stuff that people will talk about in their safety plan too. Like you can't have a conversation with this person. They're either going to try to talk you in the stand and, and, and wow you with the gifts again and tell you they're going to change and, oh, I'm going to therapy. Let's go together. I really want to be with you, all of this stuff. And that's going to tug at those heartstrings. Or they're going to physically try to keep you from leaving. Either one of those can be very detrimental, it sounds like. Right. And sometimes you can't even do a safety plan right away, depending on how severe it is. Like you said, like if he's at work, don't worry about any of that stuff because... Being in the shelter there, there is ways and means of getting everything that you need, especially your ID, your social security card, your birth certificate, um, clothes for the kids, you know, shelter, food, all that. If you have to leave that stuff behind, leave it. It's not worth it. It's not worth your life. So you're saying, hey, if you just got to go with what you got on uh, and put those kids in them car seats, then just go and, and you get here and we'll figure the rest out. Because there's lots, so many, there are so many resources out here now that clothes, especially in our shelter, we have so many clothes for kids and adults. 
all sizes, um, car seats, strollers. Um, you just make them feel at home and make them when they come in there. It's not a shelter setting, but more so a home setting. So when you walk in, you're leaving your home. And so that's a big factor. Like you don't want to leave something that you've been in that house over 20 something years, 10 years. It doesn't matter how many of that's your home, that's your home. And now you're going to a place with a whole bunch of different people. So being there, you know, is so warm and welcoming walking in that door and being knowing that you you have clothes, you know, we will send them to the shed, like, hey, pick out what you want. It's not all about, let us get you something, pick out what's comfortable for you and your kids and the food, buy, you buy the food for them and making them feel comfortable, whatever you need to eat to make your family feel comfortable. If you don't eat this, we'll try to buy you something else, whatever, to help normalize it back for them so they won't go back if they're even thinking about going back. And I think that's important to to really talk to people about yeah, what does a shelter look like? Because I think in our minds, we think you're going to be in this big room on cots. You're not safe. You have to sleep with your kids right beside you. There's going to be people out there being predators around you. So what I'm hearing you describe is you're leaving a space coming to a space that's loving, where you will have what you need, will help you get um, those documents uh, don't worry about that driver's license. Don't worry about the kids' birth certificates. We'll help you get all those things. We'll help you get clothes. Um, I think you said earlier, like, we'll help you with jobs, um, get all of these uh, things that you need to be able to be financially secure. So I think it's helpful for people to hear, like, what exactly is at this? There's food. Like, we're not going to be scrounging around um, trying to eat. There's diapers. Um, we can get your kids car seats and strollers. So I think that's really helpful for people to hear. Yeah. What exactly that? Because that's the, you know, I would want to know, like, because there's sometimes when people come in, like, do we have to share rooms with other people? No, especially if you have family, like if you have kids, you'd be in a room by yourself. There is a shared bathroom because of the room beside you might be another family. So there is a shared bathroom to where um, they do have the tub, the showers, the sink. Um, but their personal rooms, they can bring their TVs in there. So it's no like you can't bring your TVs. They can bring whatever makes you feel comfortable, you could bring in there. Nice living room setting, nice dining room setting. Um, they also have groups, even at the shelter, to where um, family center comes in and talks to them about, you know, financial um, budgeting, parenting, um, empowerment. And even the case managers, they're on site. So they'll also be right there to talk to them, you know, as much as they need. Um, we also have the shelter advocates where they oversee everything, get them what they need or inside the shelter. And we also have, you know, their temporary protective orders where they feel like I have to go out there and get it. Sometimes they would come to the shelter if, they, if they're in fear of leaving the building. So they also will bring it to them and let them feel whatever they feel comfortable for them is what is their needs is what's important. And I think that we don't even think about some of that, uh, a tub, a shower, like you, right. you're, you're going to have that, like you're going to have a bed, you're gonna, right? right? And so, because I think a lot of times people very much worry about like, okay, what am I going to be going into? Am I going to be putting me or my kids in a worse situation if I leave um, this place and come to this shelter? But you've said like, hey, we're going to, first of all, you're going to get some counseling there. So we're going to talk to you to help you work on some of these assertiveness skills and be able to manage um, what it's like to, to have been in a traumatic environment in an abusive relationship and what that does to you psychologically and emotionally. So we're going to do some of that work 
there. We're going to make sure your kids get to school. We're going to make sure um, that you have all of the resources that you need to be able to start over. Because I do think that that's part of that fear, too, is because if somebody's been selling you all of this time that you're not going to be able to make it without them. Um, nobody's going to take care of you. Nobody's going to be there for you. Nobody else can love you. Um, you're unlovable. You're unworthy. Then we start to believe that's true. And so here what you're saying is um, in this space, uh, let us show you what it's like to be in loving, kind, healthy relationships in an environment and space where people want you to be successful. And the cost isn't that you have to submit in some way by losing a part of yourself in order for you to get it. And you don't have to pay anything. We also have a child mm. on spot right there where if you got to go to a job interview, you have no one to watch the kids that person be right there to help assist them. Mm -hmm. If they're having their own trauma, going through abuse themselves or sexually assaulted themselves, she'll be the one to help make those calls along with you and guide you, get you started in school, take you to school until the bus is set up for you. Mm -hmm. So there is so much. And then we also, after you get placed into your new home, we also have the outreach program. And that means we'll be with you all the way for a whole year, just and so. So when oh, wow. people walk through that door, they feel like, oh, this is it. You know, I'm by myself because I'm starting out over. You actually have someone to check in on you once a month, maybe sometimes twice a month, just to see how you're doing and what's going on. So making sure that your needs is being met and making sure that you mentally okay. Yeah. You should be able to get that counseling, even mm -hmm. though you're not in the shelter. So there's so much services and resources out there that we're here to help. I think that in, that follow up is really important, right? That year, because we know <laughs> anything can happen. Absolutely, a lot of risk factors uh, when you you leave this abusive relationship in a year. So many things that could happen. So to know that you're going to have follow up, that you won't be alone, that you won't be by yourself um, when you get tempted or you're struggling, like you have resources available. I think that's very important for people to know that they're not going to be in it by themselves, um, and that they have all these wraparound services. I think it's really important for people. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, for those of us that want to support people, right, because we've talked about um, we get frustrated and we start getting judgmental, uh, all of the things that makes people fearful of leaving, right? So for family and friends who are trying to figure out how to be supportive of a loved one who is in a relationship that's abusive, what recommendations would you have for us in terms of what to say, what not to say, um, and the kinds of things that might be helpful for us to do? Listen to them and believe them. Mm. you know sometimes you want to go more into details what what exactly happened how long that's not even important if I'm telling you you hit me believe that mm. and then also encourage them to call somebody get some some type of assistance get some help and also call the hotline and then be one also volunteer to make some calls for them you know what you I know you might not be ready to say anything I'll be that support for you. I will call some places for you and get you that information. Because sometimes, you know, even though people tell us what to do and we're either scared or we're not ready, but just knowing that you have that person or that family to make the calls and say, well, thank you for looking this up for me. Thank you for calling in or, or asking questions that I didn't know what to ask. So those are very important to listen, don't judge, and don't um, and encourage them and support them. Those are the main things that you need to do more often. That's really helpful. Like you said, sometimes just like listen, 
um, believe that this person is having this experience. So whether they're ready to leave or not, um, whether this is their 10th time going back and leaving, um, believe them, hear them, sit with them in this experience and recognize that it is very difficult to be able to leave an abusive relationship for all of the different reasons that you were just talking about. You said something very powerful, which is like, hey, make some calls, <laughs> right? Like sometimes a person is just too overwhelmed, um, numb or afraid or just so much going on in their head. They're just too disorganized to be able to do that. So you can get some, make some calls and find out some information. You mentioned a crisis line. So is there a crisis line available for people to be able to call if they're in an abusive relationship? Yes, you can definitely call in Columbus. We do have a crisis line number, which is 706-324-3850. And we're open 24 hours. There's always someone behind that call. Somebody will always answer that phone. And 211, they can, um, you can dial just 211 and let them know that you're in a situation and throughout Georgia and they will be able to send you to different shelters, referrals to different shelters and somebody will give back in contact with you and see what they can do to help you. So that is for, I think, a good resource for people when they're trying to figure out, okay, when I am ready to leave what I do. So I know I have um, two numbers that I can call, 211, and can you give that crisis line number again? That's 24 hours. I'll drop that in the chat. 706-324-3850. Because, you know, of course, we, we don't want to wait till we're in a situation to be able to know what resources are available. Um, so being able to have this information may help us, might help somebody that we love or care about to be able to like, oh, hey, yeah, I do have the numbers. I know where to go. So even if I don't know what to do and what to say, then I do know I can call and get some more information. Um, are there other, go ahead. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to come to the shelter in order to get outreach services because some people might have a safe place. They might stay with their family and friends and still want other resources. And so they can still call that number and we will, and they will give them a referral to outreach and somebody will be in contact with them and see what type of services they're looking for, whether it's counseling, um, whether it's um, getting a temporary protective order, they don't have to be in a shelter to receive these services. So they can still be able to, and sometimes you might just been struggling for one month and got behind because you, you know, something happened. Depending on every case is different, they can also assist you with that, uh, paying a bill, depending on what your, you know, what the situation is. Okay, so that's important too, these financial resources. I, you know, I thank you for sharing that the person doesn't have to be in the shelter to receive resources because I think maybe some people may not be aware that they can receive outreach services to where they're living. Like if you're already in a safe space, if you're trying um, to recover, trying uh, on this journey of, of being able to heal from leaving a violent relationship is that you can have services come to you. Uh, you mentioned that temporary protective order. Tell us a little bit about what that means, because I, I know that people don't necessarily always understand how that works. Um, the temporary protective order, especially if they're, let's say their abuser is still in the house and they and that's their home and they want to get back into their house, they can um, file a temporary protective order to have him, get him to remove and not be around them. He can't come, but you have to know where he's at to be served in order for them for the judge to grant it. So he has to be, you know, have an address. Okay, has and to be served. 
Yes, he has to be served. So um, having that information will be very helpful knowing so they can, and only has to be, um, once you get that address, um, you don't have to come inside to do, you can start your application over mine, talking to Yolanda Fryer. She's our director of legal advocacy. Um, you can send an email to her and she will get in contact with you and tells you the different steps that you have to take and what is the necessary papers that needs to have in order to get him served or get her served. So that's helpful for when you need to go get some stuff from the house. Um, you get this temporary protective order served. This person can't be in the home when you come in there to get all of those things that you may need for yourself or for your kids. Um, and then it also sounds like they may be able to have an officer there with them too while they're removing things from the home. Yes, that is correct. They have to call them and let them know that they want to, um, to get their items from the house. And so they will assist them. So again, more proof that you don't have to be in this by yourself, that you don't have to figure this out, um, that you have resources that are available and you don't even have to know everything that you might need because there are people that will be able to talk with you about the things that are available. And so I know a lot of times we think we have to have it all figured out before we take that step. Um, and you're like, absolutely not. When you're ready to go, go, we'll figure everything else out. The main thing is getting away. Everything else, everybody else would be able to assist them. You don't have to figure anything out. Just get away and let everybody else um, be able to help them and give them the services that they need. So tell our viewing audience, our listeners about Hope Harbor. What are, um, uh, what exactly is Hope Harbor? <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> right, so we, we, we mentioned that at the beginning when we were uh, doing your brief bio, but, but talk to people about what Hope Harbor does. Hope Harbor is a domestic violence shelter. It's the only domestic violence shelter here in Columbus. And so what we do is assist men and women um, and children into, we don't place um, the men's inside of the shelter, but we do um, have them, give them a safe haven as well. If there's been a Stevie as well, um, even the children and the mothers, they're gonna be placed inside the shelter. We offer, um, when they having a crisis, they call the hotline. I want people to walk people through it so they'll know what that looks like. When you call the hotline, they just ask them what that, you know, what does the DV look like to them and explain what went on. And then we give them the right resources of where to go for us to safe haven for the police to bring us to where we at. We're in an undisclosed location because of the severity of what we do to make sure that we protect um, the staff as well as you know the victims as well as their children, making sure that no one knows where we at, where we located at, so we can't tell where you where we located at. Um, but we offer inside of the shelter, we do have case managers, we have outreach managers, we have children advocates there, we have the shelter advocates full time and part time. So there's always someone in that building, twenty four seven. There's no you know there's always someone even on the weekends there's someone available. We have a gate surrounded us to make sure that we protected. We have cameras inside to make us feel safe. Um, we offer, offered, um, like I stated before, counseling um, off the job, you know, off the shelter. We have family centers who we collaborate with to give them free counseling. We also do groups. Family center comes in as well as we do groups. We give groups for financial, children's empowerment, as well as we do movie nights with them. Um, we just, it, you know, it's a place to be. I've been in the shelter and when I was in Detroit and we didn't have none of the stuff that we have here. So I was like, whoa, 
you know, this is powerful to see that, you know, there's so much resources and people don't realize there's so much out here that is to offer and people need to just either call or, you know, definitely call our crisis line number or their 211. Either which way they'll give us, they give us the right, they'll give them the right information. Well, I want one to thank you for saying, hey, we're in a safe space. People don't know where we are because I think that is a lot of people's fears that they'll be able to find me even there, um, right? No, they won't. Uh, to all of the different things that you offer, not only for the person who's escaping this violent situation, but also their children. And that you mentioned, like we help men too, because I know a lot of times we believe that only men are perpetrators of, of, of violence and abuse. When we know that women very much perpetuate that too. You mentioned earlier when you were describing domestic violence, intimate partner violence, this can be parents, this can be children, uh, this can be somebody you're in a uh, marriage with, somebody you're dating. So there are a lot of different people who can um, be perpetuating this violence against you. And so you have resources for men as well. They don't necessarily stay at the shelter because um, that's for the women and the children, but they do have um, the ability to be relocated if they need to be as well and, and receive support services. Um, and also the shame that goes along, I think, with men acknowledging they're in abusive Right. Relationships. Do relocation. So just in, if they have other family members, whether it's men or women, we do relocate them to a different state. Um, if they want to get away, like away from their abuser and not be in the same state, we will advocate on their behalf and see if another shelter have space and available for them and we'll buy them a bus ticket and get them to a safe haven. Like you said, that's a lot of good resources. I know that a lot of um, cities and states do not have all of those resources available in the same way that Hope Harbor does. For those people that want to donate to the cause, who want to support the work that you're doing, tell them how they can support Hope Harbor. We do have a website, um, Hope Harbor, which is spelled um, H-O-P-E-H-A-R-B-O-U-R www.hopeharbor.com and go on that website. And if it's um, cash donations, um, send an email, then we'll be able to receive that. We do have donations every Tuesday um, at 8.30 and also at one o'clock at Rose Hill Baptist Church. And that address is 2100 Hamilton. And you could drop off anything in household items, clothing, kids clothes, um, beddings, pots and pans, dishes, anything for a family to get ready to start their new new beginnings. We definitely take all donations. So I'm dropping all of this information in the chat because I know that as we um, purge in our homes and get rid of all of the excess that we right. have, <laughs> um, we often think about Goodwill, but we don't think about a Hope Harbor. Um, and so it's important that we let people know like, hey, this is a place that could use those resources too for um, people that are trying to start over, um, for families who are leaving maybe everything behind that right. they had to be able to have resources. And I know some people still have new stuff in their in their closets and mm -hmm. uh, that they haven't used, <laughs> that they haven't worn, that they haven't used, uh, that they got on sale and it's still in the box, never been opened. Um, that may be a good resource for someone who has been affected by domestic violence. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your talents, your story. Um, 
with our audience. This is something that, as you said, we often keep close to the vest uh, because we're embarrassed about it. Um, we don't want for people to see us as weak. We don't want, sometimes we don't want to embarrass this person who's abusing us. We're protective of them. Uh, right. So we don't want people to be looking at them in a negative way. And so that culture of silence is what often keeps us trapped in these relationships. But I heard you say, speak about it. That's it. That's it. Speak about it. And so for those of you that are listening, for those of you who are watching, you may know someone or you yourself may be in a situation in which it's abusive, it's unhealthy. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there for you. Go to um, Hope Harbor's website to get more information about domestic violence and intimate partner violence. Take advantage of that crisis line if you need somebody to walk you through it or just listen or validate for you that what you're feeling and experiencing is real. Um, and then also for you that are family and friends who want to support some people, learn about it so that you can be able to hear people and believe them uh, when they come to you and say they're struggling and they want to leave, but they're just maybe not quite ready um, or they're not really certain what to do. So thank you for your time, uh, Miss Marion. One thing to offer. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Celebration of Hope, um, that's definitely coming up on September 29th. Um, what we every year we do celebration of hope and we that's where our biggest fundraising to um, help you know bring donations of findings to our shelter and also we do a walk which is October 11th and it's all on our website so definitely you know you know go onto that page and see what you know that's something that you're interested in um, the walk is definitely for the, the victims that has passed due to domestic violence so we do a vigil at the end to the candlelight vigil and hold a candle for each one that has passed because of domestic violence, whether it was teen or elder or middle age, whoever it was that has lost their lives through domestic violence, we do have that. And we do have a community educator that also goes out into the community and educate those police officers and, and everybody else that needs information about domestic violence and what that looks like. So we have a lot to offer. And thank, thank you so you. much for talking about that because this is something that's always swept underneath the rug and not people mention much about it. And so thank you for the platform. Absolutely. So I just dropped the celebration of Hope September 29th, your fundraiser and the walk October 11th for people that want to participate. Um, I want to let people know that we will be finishing out this series in last week in September the 27th after the divorce dust settles, co-parenting, dating, and marriage with Reverend Adrian Baker, Assistant Pastor of Christway Baptist Church. As always, we appreciate you for joining, and please make sure you share this information with someone who can benefit from it. Everybody have a good night. Be well.